You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New developments tonight in the murder of a Burnaby RCMP officer. Constable Shaylin Yang was fatally stabbed while helping a parks employee check on a man living in a tent in a Burnaby park. Grace joins us now live. Grace Key, that is, joins us with the details, including, Grace, the identity of the man now charged with murder. Yeah, we're here at the Surrey RCMP detachment where I hit just released some new details. 37-year-old Jongwon Ham has now been charged with first-degree murder. It was a desperate battle to save one of their own after a homeless man stabbed Constable Shaylin Yang at a Burnaby Park. The 31-year-old who dedicated herself to work with the mental health and homeless outreach team would later die in hospital. I saw uh, police officers trying to revive her, giving her CPR, and the other four police officers attending the stabber. And uh, they're trying to revive her, but they couldn't do it. So they lift, put it on a stretcher and then carried her to the ambulance. The suspect, John Wan Ham, has been charged with first-degree murder. About 11 a.m. on Tuesday, Constable Yang and a city worker went to Broadview Park to notify a man in a tent that he had to move. That's when she was stabbed. We now know at some point the constable shot the man. BC's police watchdog group says it's unclear how many shots were fired. We've been able to gather uh, video evidence of the incident that's, um, that shows uh, quite a bit of it. Um, if, if, in fact, all of the incident, um, it's at some distance, but it provides us with excellent information. IHIT is investigating Constable Yang's murder and the circumstances leading up to it. My understanding is that Constable Yang was asked to assist in a notification to him that he was not permitted to be in the park. Uh, they weren't there to remove him at the time. They were just there to notify him of that. Tuesday night, there was a procession in the constable's honor that stretched for six minutes. Throughout the day, people have been leaving flowers at the Burnaby Detachment and Park, trying to make sense of this tragedy. Definitely, definitely devastating. Just for like people who were around here, and then I can't even think about their family. What are their family going through? It's a young female officer just got killed over a duty. It was devastating what I saw yesterday. And Grace, do we know if Constable Yang had any previous interaction with him in that park? Well, we did speak with a witness, and he told us that a few weeks ago he saw two officers talk with the homeless man at the park, but it's unclear if the constable actually had any interaction with them. Chris? All right, Grace, thank you. That's Grace Key reporting from Surrey. Now, the accused, Jung Won Ham, made his first court appearance today, although he wasn't there in person because he's still in hospital. Rumina Dea joins us live with more on what we're learning about him and his history. Rumina. Sophie, 37-year-old Jung Won Ham has been in and out of jail on very serious charges since last year, February 2021. He was charged with assault and with resisting a police officer in connection to an incident in Vancouver. Ham was released on court-ordered conditions. Then in March of this year, he was arrested and charged with assault again, this time for allegedly assaulting a security guard at the food court in the Harbour Centre in Vancouver. Ham was released again 
Three warrants have been issued for his arrest since last month alone. The last one just on Monday, the day before Constable Yang was killed. We spoke to someone who said Han had been living in the park for roughly two and a half years. He would wash his socks in the fountain. Kathy Thompson told us he came here from the Philippines. She said he was a nice man who never bothered anyone. No. No, nothing whatsoever. Okay. No threat to society at all. Like, we all thought he was just a homeless man that needed somewhere to live, but maybe he refused home, you know, a house somewhere. Yeah. But otherwise, he seemed to be fine. Now, a growing memorial uh, flanks the crime scene here at the park. Evidence markers are still scattered throughout the grass. Um, the suspect's tent is now behind IHIT's black walls. They are taking photographs inside the tent. As far as Ham is concerned, he's still in Royal Columbian Hospital under the jurisdiction of the Burnaby RCMP. His next court appearance is November 2nd. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting in Burnaby for us. In Victoria today, an emotional tribute to fallen officer Yang. Surrey South MLA, Eleanor Sturko is a retired RCMP officer, and during question period, she stood up to speak of the weight of the tragedy. When a police officer decides to don their uniform and take on the responsibility of protecting the public, that they do not bear this responsibility alone. Their families also carry the weight of that decision. The weight of that decision is often measured in fear, fear that their loved one will not come home. We thank Constable Yang for her service, and we will continue to remember her not only today, but as we move forward with our duty in this House to address public safety. Well, we are awaiting a final decision from the B.C. NDP tonight on Anjali Apatari's leadership bid. The 32-year-old climate activist filed her papers to run to be the next premier of this province. But the party's electoral officer is recommending she be disqualified from the race. Richard Zussman has more on what happens next. Let her run! Let her run! A last-ditch effort to keep Anjali Apatari in the race. That's not democracy. That's not, that's not a vote. That's not a real way to allow the people to speak about who we want to be our next premier. Supporters rallying outside the BC NDP headquarters and a personal plea from a Panerai herself for why she should be allowed to run. Close to 4,000 new Democrats and others across BC and beyond have emailed the BC NDP provincial executive to speak up against this unjust disqualification and to take a stand for ultimately the soul of the party. This comes after Global BC broke the news Tuesday night. The BC NDP chief electoral officer is recommending a powder eye be disqualified from the race. Findings from Elizabeth Call outlined in this report, concluding there was improper coordination with third parties, including Dogwood, breaking rules by using their membership lists and staff to recruit members. We did it through grassroots organizing, the very same approach that founded this party. And we followed the rules. If the provincial executive votes to disqualify a Apatari as recommended, David Eby would become BC's next premier. The party's going to go through its internal processes that it needs to do. Uh, but for me, uh, I'm really focused on British Columbians and I'm presenting myself as a candidate for leadership. Premier John Horgan has remained neutral in the race, but he would be fine with a situation where Eby becomes premier without a leadership vote. 
David has the overwhelming support of my caucus colleagues, as I do today. And I think that's the beginning of a positive new government going forward. But not everyone agrees. One NDP riding association in Sunshine Coast, Powell River, asking the council to allow EB's one challenger to remain, something the riding's MLA doesn't agree with. We've agreed and disagreed on different issues, and I disagree with them on this. But I, to be fair, they had not seen the report. A Paderai could appeal a decision that would keep her out of the Premier's office, but would only do so if the grassroots members want her to. Appeal or no appeal, experts say the damage to the BC NDP has been done. They have a process which they lost control of. Uh, you know, it, 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 that never looks good. Leaving many of Apatari's supporters with the impression the new Democratic Party has become the non-Democratic Party. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver could become the first city in the world to adopt the principles of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It would give the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh a seat at the table when decisions are made and a share of the region's wealth. Imadagahi has more. Never before has a city approached the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People this way. strategy outlines a number of calls to action that have been collaboratively created by the task force to recommend to the City of Vancouver. UNDRIP was adopted by the UN General Assembly in 2007, establishing a universal framework of the minimum standards for the survival, dignity and well-being of Indigenous people. We get to... Uh, uh, stand in this moment in a long journey um, and look to uh, the meaningful work ahead in, in implementing this and the transformative changes ahead for, uh, for Indigenous people and for all people on these unceded lands. The local strategy in Vancouver involves 79 calls to action to ensure the social, cultural and economic well-being of Indigenous peoples, including options for revenue sharing through property taxes, improved recruitment, retention and advancement of Indigenous community members in the city of Vancouver and its careers, more culturally informed approaches to affordability, homelessness and community services, and the recommendations that the Vancouver Police Department address systemic and structural racism. Generational wealth that was, was, that was created while we were oppressed. And what do those steps look forward? So like the economic and revenue sharing is one thing that I'd like to uh, you know, see being fulfilled. Within the uh, city of Vancouver, there has been a lot of racism going on. And I'd like to see that our children are, are being brought up in a community where we can all work together and live together. Um, and I think that this document will bring that forward. The federal and provincial government have already committed to UNDRIP implementation. And if approved by the outgoing city council in Vancouver next week, this will also be the case on the local level. I expect it to pass unanimously. Emadagahi, Global News. It is Variety Week here on Global BC, and we've met some incredible kids with special needs right across this province. Sure have kids that need your help with wheelchairs, therapy sessions, autism assessments, and a bunch of other things. So please help us help the kids. Call 310-KIDS now or go to variety.bc.ca. And during tonight's news hour, RBC is going to match your donation so Variety can help even more kids. Call now. 
A closer look at the investigation into a targeted hit at a local golf course. Three different crime scenes in three different locations that may or may not be related. And the strange quirk in Lower Mainland policing that adds to the complexity of the case. Next on the News Hour. Wasn't a dry eye in the house. 25 people probably. The amazing story of a runaway dog unfamiliar with her new home and how a group of strangers came through to find her later. And Variety Week continues with the remarkable story of Caitlin and how your donations are helping this gifted girl blossom. Right now, though, the man who pleaded guilty to killing his girlfriend in Surrey back in 2017 has now been sentenced. Harjot Singh Dio has been sentenced to seven years in jail for manslaughter and the death of Kieran Desi and for improperly interfering or offering an indignity to her remains. 19-year-old Desi's body was found in a burned-out SUV near 24th Avenue and 187th Street in August of 2017. Dio's lawyer told court his client was with Desi when a loaded handgun went off, accidentally killing her. Dio will serve five years for manslaughter and two years for the interference charge. IHIT is releasing new details today about the discovery of two bodies in a vehicle in Burnaby on Monday. Police say the bodies of 24-year-old Keisha Gary and 30-year-old Umar Kasim of Coquitlam were found Monday afternoon parked on a street near Alpha Secondary. Both victims had recently been reported missing to the Coquitlam RCMP. IHIT is now working with Coquitlam and Burnaby RCMP to build a timeline of the events leading up to the discovery of their bodies. No cause of death has been released. Anyone who had seen Gary and Kasim over the past week are asked to contact IHIT. Monday's outbreak of gang violence that appears to have spread across at least two Metro Vancouver communities has raised questions once again about a regional or provincial police force. As Krista Dow reports, an all-party committee has already recommended just that. The homicide team now confirms the fatal shooting at the UBC Golf Club was a gang hit. But remains unsure whether this crash in Richmond and subsequent arrests or this vehicle set on fire just three kilometers away are connected. We're going to work with Vancouver Police and their forensic unit to determine any kind of link. It's one example of what critics say is clunky intelligence between police jurisdictions. Critical information that's not easily accessible. This comes as the city of Surrey is embroiled in an expensive back and forth about first whether to keep the RCMP and now how to stop the transition to the Surrey Police Service. The issue putting the spotlight back on the viability of a regional police force. Multiple policing agencies really uh, have, are, are a weakness in our system. In April, a special committee report recommended B.C. transition to a new provincial police service, citing it will improve local accountability and decision-making and improve consistency of services, training, oversight and standards. A move former Attorney General Wally Opal says would streamline communication and share information more efficiently. He points to Robert Picton's criminal activity spanning across two jurisdictions as a prime example. And the RCMP did not share information with the Vancouver police, which resulted in Picton being on the loose for another five years. And more homicides were committed during that time. 
Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says an overhaul of the police system is not on the table. I want to work with local governments to make sure that we are able to, if there are gaps uh, in terms of jurisdictional issues, uh, that we are able to resolve them. Farnworth adds there are reforms coming to the Police Act and initiatives, including creating a BC-based lab to deal with firearms forensics analysis. Krista Dow, Global News. Just ahead, concert ticket discrimination. There's a whole cohort in my generation that do not use smartphones. Why they were almost shut out of an Elton John event they paid for. And how Consumer Matters came to the rescue. Plus, startling video of a knife attack and the search for the suspect. Steady both ways at the Port Van Bridge tonight with just a bit of leftover congestion eastbound on Highway 1 through Coquitlam on the approach. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $30 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. This portion of the program is brought to you in part by RBC. A BC couple who purchased tickets for this weekend's Elton John concert were told they wouldn't be able to attend the show unless they had a mobile device to download, download their tickets. Trouble is, like a lot of people, they don't own a smartphone and they risked losing hundreds of dollars and a chance to see the legendary singer. Well, that's when they reached out to Consumer Matters and Drua for help. And Thanks, Chris. Some ticket sale companies argue paper tickets are susceptible to fraud and mobile ticketing is much more secure and safer for fans. But some say for a segment of the population who don't own a mobile device or simply don't feel comfortable using one, only allowing a paperless option is unfair. That's how Melissa Baker and Glenn Bergfeld, in their effort to see one of their favorite musicians, Elton John. Melissa Baker and Glenn Berg have been Elton John fans since they were teenagers. Now in their 60s, when they heard the legendary singer was coming to Vancouver, they jumped on their computer and searched for tickets. We felt this could be our last opportunity to catch him once more, so we better go. Melissa eventually purchased two tickets on Vivid Seats, an American ticket exchange and resale company, for approximately $600 Canadian. But when she received confirmation, she says there was a disclaimer. Saying in order to attend the venue, you must download these tickets to a mobile device. Tiny dancer. Yeah, well. A problem for Melissa and Glenn because they don't own a mobile device. Vivid Seats states on its website customers will need to use an iOS or Android mobile device to gain entry to the event. But Melissa says she didn't see that note when she purchased the tickets and reached out to Vivid Seats several times explaining they can only use paper tickets. You must have a mobile device to download the tickets. That was always the last line. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. At the time, Melissa says, Vivid Seat's solution to the couple's dilemma was to sell their tickets on the secondary market. I feel that's discrimination. And there's a whole cohort in my generation that do not use smartphones and have no use for smartphones. BC Seniors advocate Isabel McKenzie says going to a paperless society has unintended consequences. Some people are left behind because they can't engage in the technology. They can't afford it or they don't know how. With the risk of losing their tickets and money, Melissa and Glenn turned to Consumer Matters for help. 
one day after we reached out to Vivid Seats, the couple received this message from the company on their answering machine. That's a courtesy. We would like to we went ahead and refunded you the order. Offering the Don't couple worry. an apology, uh, a full refund of $600, and a chance to still go to the concert. All right, we're going. Meaning, if Melissa and Glenn could still get access to a mobile device, they could attend the concert for free. Woo! Thank God for you. I mean, I still don't know what we'd be doing today if we didn't have access to the, the tickets. The couple now borrowing a family member's mobile phone to download their tickets the night of the event. And just to add, even though Glenn and Melissa are happy with the resolution, Melissa says she still feels this last experience with Vivid Seats is discriminatory. It does nothing to resolve the main issue, which is not everyone has access to a mobile device or simply wants a mobile device. As for Vivid Seats, the company never responded to any of our questions. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good stuff. All right. Thanks very much, Ann. Canada's overall inflation rate has cooled slightly, but the cost of food continues to skyrocket. Statistics Canada says the overall inflation rate for September was 6.9%, down from 7% in August, but the price of groceries soared by more than 11%. The cost of baked goods up nearly 15%. A recent study by Dalhousie University has found the cost of food is forcing Canadians to make sometimes heartbreaking choices. 23% are cutting back on their food purchases. 8% have made changes to their diet. And most disturbing of all, 7% are skipping meals or snacks altogether. It's quite scary. It's violently scary for, for families right now, looking at what's going on at the grocery store. It's, it's not just about food security, it's nutrition security as well. I mean, people are making some, some significant compromises, nutritional compromises along the way in order to save some money. So we're we're, we've reached a dangerous zone here uh, when it comes to food security in Canada, and, and that's unfortunate. Stats Canada says food prices have outpaced the overall inflation rate for the past 10 months in a row. Food banks are reporting constant increases in demand with new clients coming through their doors every month. And coming up, the ticking time bomb in healthcare. It's incumbent on all of us to educate ourselves and take action. A new report into dementia shows why it's becoming an urgent problem. Also ahead, a local doctor returns from the front lines of Ukraine, promising to return with more medical supplies. Another busy commute for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby tonight, with crews on scene to a stall near Grandview Highway in the left lane. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, Expert Repair for Your Vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital, Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An appeal tonight from Vancouver Police asking for the victim and witnesses to come forward after a violent incident in Gastown. It happened last Saturday around noon on West Cordova near Richard Street. Security video shows a man approaching the victim with a knife and threatening him. The pair begin fighting in an alcove before continuing the fight out on the street. VPD say it did not appear either man was injured. Officers are looking to identify the pair and find out what led up to the incident. Anyone with information is asked to contact VPD or Crime Stoppers. A BC doctor is doing everything she can to help medical professionals on the front lines in Ukraine. Dr. Tracy Parnell is raising money for medical equipment after seeing the overwhelming need as a volunteer. 
Catherine Urquhart has the story. It was yet another horrifying scene as dozens of drone explosives struck Kyiv this week. The kamikaze drones killed several people and left many more with life-altering injuries. Soon, some of those injured may be helped by a doctor from Cranbrook who is returning to Ukraine to volunteer for the third time. The need is just so overwhelming there with regards to medical care, the, the amount of injury, the, the, the number of patients that are, are being wounded on a daily basis. It, it, it's, it's catastrophic. Parnell took this video during a previous trip and knows well the dangers she faces. She's also uniquely trained to assist. She's a specialist in emergency medicine and disaster management with a military background. I just want to thank you all for the opportunity to say a few words. In recent months, the physician has been fundraising for the trip to purchase supplies, including tourniquets, chest seals, pressure bandages, and stretchers. The stretchers, I mean, these are World War II surplus canvas stretchers, and they're being used over and over again. You can't get the blood out anymore. I mean, that's, that's just, to me, unacceptable. Those wanting to donate can do so at medbat.org.ua. Parnell departs for Ukraine next week and plans to stay for a month. This brave BC doctor says she'll spend her time working to save those who don't need to die. And if I can do my bit to help them, then um, whatever risk is, uh, is worth it. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, it is a fact of life. We are all getting older. And BC's population is aging even faster than almost any other province in Canada. As Erin MacArthur reports, a seniors advocacy group says the province is not ready to deal with the surge of dementia patients those changing demographics will bring. BC is falling short on seniors' care in general and dementia care specifically. A new report from advocacy group CanAge says this province lacks even the basics when it comes to care for elderly patients. BC does not even have a provincial dementia strategy. It's not on the public health radar. It's not part of the program of this government. The statistics on dementia worldwide are alarming. In less than a decade, there could be as many as 78 million cases worldwide. By 2050, that number could be nearly 140 million. Demographics play an outsized role in the sharp predicted spike. Two years ago, people over 65 made up one in every 11 people. By 2050, it's estimated to be one in six people. In Canada, that number will be closer to one in four. And in BC, that number could skew even higher. The provincial government agrees senior care is challenging, but investments made in long-term care pre-pandemic continue to improve people's quality of life. We've gone from 85% of care homes being below standard to meeting the standard in every case. This is a massive uh, investment in long-term care. The Alzheimer's Society of BC believes there are pieces of quality care province-wide. But only looking through a healthcare lens misses the mark. 
CEO Jen Lyle says there is an opportunity here to create a provincial dementia strategy. What that does is it allows us to look at the issue and challenges around dementia beyond just the healthcare lens, but also looking at it from a socioeconomic lens. In order to better manage what is expected to be a surge in dementia cases, advocates are pushing for federal and provincial governments to offer clear guidelines on diagnosis and care and to provide the funding necessary to act. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, an emotional move to Alberta takes a dramatic turn. They were happy to leave Vancouver to be closer to family, but their dog had other plans. When it took off, how their new neighbors rallied to the rescue. And coming up in sports, the Whitecaps wind down after a disappointing year. What they're doing to improve for next season. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week October 17th to 21st. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. Early intervention goes a long way in helping kids with autism thrive. But getting that diagnosis is key, and Variety has helped nearly 300 children receive that assessment. Children like Caitlin. She would wake us up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning when she was about 3 years old and say, Mommy, Daddy, can I do math? Um, and she, it wasn't just like 2 plus 2. She would make us ask her questions like 567 plus 237. And we were like, well, that's not typical for a 3-year-old. Celinda and Philip knew that Caitlin was different. She was definitely intelligent. But she also had awkward social skills and personality traits that pointed the parents towards autism. I overwhelm strangers and then they're like, please leave me without saying anything because it would be rude to say anything. And I struggle with finding moments like that where I need to back off and calm down. Being diagnosed with autism would provide the resources that would help Caitlin at school, at home, and in social situations. But the gifted designation she previously received was making it difficult for practitioners. It was a lot harder for the experts to identify her as being autistic because she was very observant about what was going on around her. And so it was really easy if you were only seeing her for a short period of time for her to be able to mask all of those underlying traits. After years of advocating for their child in the medical community, the family reached out to Variety to fund a private autism assessment for Caitlin. Because Caitlin now has an autism designation, uh, it's going to be much easier for us to find uh, therapies that will help her, um, both uh, for her mental health. It also will allows us to get her into um, playgroups to help her learn how to uh, interact with her peers and with other people and get those really um, difficult to understand social cues that are sometimes easy for us to get, but not so easy for her to understand. Because my husband, uh, Philip, is disabled, it would have been next to impossible for us to have been able to pr afford the private options on our own. So Variety funding it and providing us with that grant was just absolutely incredible and helpful for our family. Autism isn't a limit or a gate, a wall that you cannot escape. It's not a disease or a trap. It's a different perspective on the world. Another way to see things. 
Very, very powerful message mm -hmm. from Caitlin and her family as well. She's a thoughtful, intelligent young girl, but she and many other children like her still need that autism designation to get the help they need. So make sure more kids like Caitlin get the essential assessments, treatments, and therapies they need by calling 310 Kids now or going online to variety.bc.ca. And remember, if you donate before the end of the news hour tonight, your dollars will be doubled thanks to that generous matching donation from RBC of up to $25,000. 310 Kids, variety.bc.ca. Beautiful. Caitlin's good with numbers, and I know somebody else who's gifted with numbers, too. Christy <laughs> joins us now with a look at the weather forecast. And, yeah, once again, everybody's talking about this change coming. Absolutely. You know, I have to say, uh, Caitlin, though, if you're watching right now, it sounds like you're a lot more gifted with numbers than me. So good on you. Um, yeah, so we've got a massive change on the way for Friday. It's fall-like weather. A lot of people are thinking I was meaning fall was arriving, but we're actually officially in fall. It's fall-like weather that's coming. And it's coming with snow too. Here's a look. Yes, we are expecting snow for the mountain passes. I hope you got your snow tires on. This is throughout the day on Friday and we'll see it again on Saturday. So it's those peaks of the mountain passes, but it includes the Coquilla, Connector, Allison Pass, Rogers Pass and Kootenai Pass again Friday and again on Saturday. Do not travel without snow tires. And as you well know, it has been incredibly smoky right across the province. We've been trapping in this uh, smoke with this ridge of high pressure and inversion. We are hoping for a touch of improvement tomorrow, but the air quality health index was at a high, sorry, a very high risk level in through the East Fraser Valley, the worst in the world today. We saw that in some parts of Metro Vancouver earlier today, but we saw an improvement throughout the latter part of the day. So it's a little bit better. Now tomorrow, we are in a transition day, so we are going to see generally sunshine across the region. A few showers as a weak front pushes across these areas, but it's very weak. As you well know, the majority of the change will occur on Friday, but for our region, the temperatures will drop tomorrow. So we'll see a bit of cloud cover. We are expecting smoke, but hopefully a little bit less smoke than what we saw today. Friday, though, is when we'll see a more significant improvement with periods of rain, much cooler temperatures. Boy, that's going to feel cold. And then we'll maintain those chilly conditions over the weekend, but at least there's a little bit of sunshine in the mix before more rain pushes in on Monday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Cultus Lake, where it was so thick today, very dangerous air quality health uh, in that region. Back to you. That does not look fun. All right, thanks, Christy. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What have you got tonight, Squire? Well, we're going to hear from Bruce Boudreaux. Connor Garland didn't play last night. He'll tell us why. Uh, he was a healthy scratch. Also, the uh, Whitecaps had an autopsy today, but this autopsy had no blood, and it didn't smell that bad. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll tell you about it. Unlike parts of the season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up tonight. She was able to escape. A recent move to Alberta didn't go as planned for longtime Vancouver residents when their dog almost immediately ran away. How they got her back and made some new friends too. Starting a new game on the news hour tonight. Does Squire's tie work for television? I I can't really see it. Well, fine. And I guess it's not working. Oh, now I see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it looks in real life. You okay. look like yourself in real life. Well, that's good. Except taller. <laughs> well, that's wow. even better. <laughs> All right. Uh, at the start of last season, the Vancouver Canucks, of course, were getting off to terrible starts in their games. 
This season, it's the opposite. They can't finish games. In journalism, you're told to never bury the lead. When it comes to the Canucks, the lead buries them. All four games this season, they've been up by two or three goals, and they've lost. It happened again last night. They blew a 2-0 lead, a 3-2 lead, lost 4-3 to Columbus in overtime. Now, one of the guys who didn't play in last night's game was Connor Garland. He was a healthy scratch. So why was he left out? we just got to be uh, accountable. I mean, the, the way we've played, I could have taken a lot of guys out, but uh, I got one extra forward, and uh, I chose him. I know how good he can play, you know, and... Uh, but I know how good a lot of these guys can play, and they haven't done it yet. So, I mean, uh, it's not just Connor. I mean, he'll play, he'll play again. But, I mean, it's, uh, uh, well, we've got to get uh, better as a group. There's an old saying that goes, no great story ever started with someone eating salad. Think of the Vancouver Whitecaps season as a salad with not a lot in it. It was okay, but it wasn't great. They barely missed the playoffs, but they did win the Canadian Championship. So they head into the offseason knowing it's not all bad, but then again, it's not all super good either. Vanny Sartini's shirtless celebration in winning the Canadian Championship was after the Whitecaps were caught with their pants down at the start of the MLS season. Vancouver won only one of its first eight games, but in that stretch, it taught the head coach a lesson that helped him later in the year when the Whitecaps almost rallied for a playoff spot. When you see something that uh, it doesn't work the way that you think it should work, you have to intervene immediately and not to see if the thing is going to improve a little in order to, uh, to make changes. Be in the game, stay in the game, play well like they're doing now, but with more intensity and play more in the space because we're going to win tonight. And the Whitecaps did win more after the terrible start. They were one of the most productive teams in the West starting in May. It also helped they were healthier and added players like Andres Kubas. We got the results against every single team uh, other than Minnesota this year. We won twice against Dallas, who finished in the top. So while we have the feeling we are close, uh, we have also now to be very careful with our decision making. One of the big decisions is what to do with Lucas Cavallini. He led Vancouver in goals, and he also led them in bad behavior. The Cavs are deciding whether to pick up his option for next year or not. We have to be all on the same page what his role is, what kind of system do we play, what other players do we have, what other signings we expect to have, and that's, that will happen within the next two weeks. Tua Tagovailoa became, well, kind of the unwilling poster child or, yes, I would say that, for how the NFL can mishandle concussion diagnoses during games. The last time we saw him, he was taken off the field on a stretcher when he was concussed on September 29th against Cincinnati. Uh, I wouldn't say it was scary for me at the time um, because there, were, there, there was a point where um, I, was, I was unconscious, so I, I couldn't you know, really tell what was going on. Um, so, you know, when, when I did come to and kind of realize uh, what was going on, what was happening, you know, I, I, I never, I didn't think of, of anything, um, you know, long-term or short-term. I was just wondering what happened. Uh, so, yeah. Well, hopefully when he plays this Sunday night, there'll be no issues. Uh, San Diego beat Philadelphia 8-5 to tie up the NLCS 1-1 this afternoon. There you go.
All right, thanks, Wire. A BC couple moves to Alberta and gets a welcome to the neighborhood they'll never forget. Next. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we expect to have a final decision on Anjali Apatari's leadership bid tonight. The BC NDP provincial executive is voting and Richard Zussman is watching that for us. And if you feel priced out of BC's housing market, here's a floating alternative which could be yours for less than the price of a studio condo. The BC ferry Powell River Queen is being auctioned off and the current top bid is $200,000. What's included? And what's not at 11? Sophie? Intriguing. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. I wonder if Pete Davidson knows about it. Didn't the SNL guy buy a ferry at one point? Mind you, that was a Staten Island ferry. I digress. <laughs> this next story now is about the loyalty and love between dog and human, and it has a local Global BC connection. A week ago today, an Alberta family's precious pet, Cooper, ran away from their new home in Prittis, Alberta. The husky ventured nearly 40 kilometers before being caught by good Samaritans who rallied to reunite the dog with her anxious owners. It's the view that sold them on their new home. The Vancouver couple chose this piece of paradise just minutes from the mountains. But it turns out the scenery was just as enticing for their curious canine. The Jacksons are doing renovations, and in the midst of tradespeople coming and going, so too did Cooper. She was able to escape, and she runs at 40 kilometers an hour. So as soon as we saw her go, we were you know, really worried. The contractor was the first to spot her. I went and tried to call Cooper's name to get her to come back and she bolted through the trees and I lost her. That was it. Cooper was never to be seen again. The fear of the what-ifs nearly paralyzed them. Wildlife, traffic on Highway 22X. They thought she was a goner, but what happened next defied all the odds. Well, it's like a miracle. It was just incredible. So people started doing Facebook, others started driving, others started calling friends and so the whole thing gained momentum in a matter of an hour or two. People were out everywhere calling Cooper's name. Flyers were out within hours. Sightings from strangers and steady updates from neighbours kept the family hopeful throughout the night. It blew my mind. I, the power of people and the power of social media. I've never seen it work like that. It just kind of catches you. You're like, wow. In the morning, Jackson's son and daughter-in-law got wind of a Facebook post. Someone tracked her in Bragg Creek. It was a 21st century dog search, right? Because, I mean, I mean social media, GIS mapping, uh, you know, coordinating people on phones and Twitter and, and trying to create a perimeter and pull them in. And that's what did the trick. 24 hours after her adventure started, weary and bloodied, she was ready to be reunited. She just came running into my arms and we just had the longest hug. Eventually, two very kind people showed up. They had a leash. They're like, oh my gosh, is this Cooper? And they just burst out in tears. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is amazing. Everybody was around Cooper, just wasn't a dry eye in the house. 25 people probably, just absolute tears. Restores your faith in humanity, it was extraordinary. And in the nearly five decades they were in Vancouver, they met more people in the span of five days in a hamlet they can truly call home. In Prittis, Jill Croteau, Global News. Oh, we miss Clive. So full disclosure, mm -hmm. Clive used to be the managing editor here yep. at Global BC. Uh, and it's just also nice to know, because you know, he's lived here for so long, it's nice to know the people in Alberta are taking care of them.
pretty friendly mm -hmm. folks there, no doubt about it. All right, uh, we want to thank all of our generous donors who contributed during tonight's news hour to Variety Week and all week here on Global BC. That's right, with your help and the matching donations from RBC during the news hour, Variety is now able to help 262 kids with over $654,000 in donations. And if you haven't donated yet, double the impact of your dollars by calling 310KIDS or go to variety.bc.ca. Easy to do. Thank you so much to everybody who's given. Mm -hmm. All right, so will the smoke mm -hmm. finally clear tomorrow, Christy? <laughs> Well, I am anticipating a little bit of improvement, Sophie, but I think it's more so Friday that you'll see a significant improvement with that rainfall pushing in, certainly across the region. But it's going to be chilly. I don't know if you know where your parka is, but you'll need it on Friday, that's for sure. It'll feel really chilly, especially if you're traveling the mountain passes. Sold all the rain gear on Facebook Marketplace, <laughs> like a lot of people. No, I, we'll dig it up somewhere. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.